Hello, Gene. Welcome. Welcome <laughs> to the big, beautiful world of Bookstab. I'm trying not to give my usual nervous laughter here. Sorry. The podcast where these two knuckleheads get together and disagree about a book that is usually... That at least, that, that at least one of them liked? Well, right, but that's because you've liked every book that we've read. I haven't liked every book, but I, but I, I mean, I've found value in every book. How's that? I guess I got. I guess that's liking a book. No, I can see that. Actually, actually, I think with the book that we're talking about today, I can understand that very well. The idea of finding value in it without really liking it or enjoying it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so, without further. And what ado, is today's book, Willow? Uh, today's book is The Buried Giant by Kazuo Ishiguro. Nobel Prize winner, Kazuo Ishiguro. Yeah, first time on the podcast. Nobel Prize winner, probably also the last time. Booker, I don't Booker know. Booker Prize winner. Uh, what, uh, what, who, who gives out the Booker Prize? Uh, Mr. Booker? I don't know. I don't know who gives out the Booker Prize. Somebody in, in, uh, in the UK, I believe. I'm not 100% sure. But he got... He, well, thank God. That narrows it down so much. He won the Booker Prize for Remains of the Day, which is, I have to say, a great movie. So... Never heard of oh, it. You should definitely watch that. Definitely watch that. But today we're discussing um, The Buried Giant, which we found. Uh, so so the way we came to this book is I found an article on NPR.org called We Asked, You Answered, Your 50 Favorite Sci-Fi and Fantasy Books of the Past Decade. And I texted that to you, Willow, and you chose from this list of 50 sci-fi and fantasy books, you chose this book. Why did you choose this book? Do you remember? I did. I had to pull the list up uh, on my phone just now because... I remember you sending me this this list, and I was like, oh, okay, NPR, I like NPR, I like lists of books, let's check them out. And I became very quickly disenchanted with the options on this list. <laughs> I, I recognize some of these names. Uh, for example, Joe Abercrombie, who I despise uh, from our second episode. You don't despise Joe Abercrombie, like, you despise his books. Come on. I don't. Yeah, okay, I'm sure he's a lovely man in person. I'm sure that we would we'd go on out on the beach and have a great day and eat ice cream and yeah. Joe Joe, sure. I'm sure we'd be fast friends and I love your books. So But yeah, so I was not excited by a lot of these names and a lot of books on this list I'm noticing like I think they just come up on a lot of lists. Uh oh, Jeff Vandermeer is another one on here that um I, you know, I he's probably a cool guy. Not a, not a huge fan of his writing. Oh, so good, so good. Uh, Gideon the Ninth. I feel like Gideon the Ninth is just on every book list, no matter what. I'm gonna I'm it, gonna make you read that could, book eventually. That book is so fun. That that book is amazing. Well, everyone I know is reading it right now, but everything about it sounds awful to me. I'm sorry. Well, Tor, Tor just announced the third book in that series in that trilogy, and uh, it's coming out next year. I'm I'm psyched. I'm totally psyched came out today uh here's another one that uh i'm pretty sure i tried to read this or at least i tried to read the author uh nk jemison yeah yeah i don't think i don't think i was into that so yeah i came across i came across this one and one other name on the list and you know i did the thing where i judged a book by its cover <laughs> because that's kind of what book covers are for they're supposed to be there so that you can make a decision with regard to the expectations and the genre of the book. So what did you like about the cover? Did you like the font? Did you like the tree? Did you like the, the sticker that says Nobel Prize winner? What, did, what's the, what was the thing you liked about the cover? I was intrigued, uh, I suppose. I, I mean, it, you know, on this list, there is a description. And I was I was just interested that this didn't sound like the other books. And, you know, I think having read it, it probably isn't. I don't think the other books on this list, I don't think anything Joe Abercrombie has written is going to be comparable to this book, which is not an endorsement nor a condemning, 
I um I, I kind of I, I so I, I didn't read this description on this list and I think if I had it would have pulled me into the book much faster um, because it's it's endorsed by Anne Leckie whose work I, I really really enjoy so and I didn't I did not know it had anything to do with King Arthur um, which would have also help me pull in help pull me into the book so I kind of wished I had had read this uh, before but I decided to go into this one blind since it had been on my radar for a while. But um, without further ado, I guess I guess that's a good place to give uh, the book talk for this book, and um, we're going to try to separate the book talk from the spoilers. So my best book talk for this is that uh, this book takes place uh, kind of just post the era of King Arthur in England. England is is kind of a dreary place uh, where every where, where like a a huge amount of people are struggling just to survive, just for the basics, for warmth, shelter, food. Uh, to be safe from monsters like ogres and dragons and like wildlife like wolves, uh, pe- people are—it's a rough existence. And and in this world, uh, our two central characters at the beginning of the book are Axel and and Beatrice, uh, his wife. They are an elderly couple. They live in a barrow. They kind of live underground in a hillside with these other people in kind of a village that's there. And uh, existence is pretty, pretty dull, pretty survival level. Uh, and these people are old. They're not even allowed to have like a, a candle or anything really nice. And they're kind of at the edge of the, the compound or whatever it is underground. And they decide to set off to go find their son. And there's this mist that kind of hangs over the land that seems to be making everyone forget um, kind of what's going on and the past and nobody really talks about the past and as they set out it's really unclear if they're even going in the right direction to me but they they have a series of encounters and they head toward this Saxon village they're Britons and they head toward this Saxon village um, that Beatrice knows where she's gone a few times uh, and and that's kind of on their way to see their son and and there they fall in with a knight and a boy who's been bitten um, I think by an ogre they believe, and who they have to get out of that village. It's a very dark place. It's full of rotting meat that is all kind of sacrifices for gods. And they set off with this the Saxon boy and the Saxon knight. And uh, in short order, they run into Gawain. We find out the Saxon knight's mission is to kill this she-dragon. And uh, minor spoiler, uh, the dragon is the source of the mist, which is causing the forgetfulness. And so everyone wants to remove the mist for their own reasons, at least that's what we think uh, toward the middle of the novel. And that kind of sets I, uh, up the conflict. I, I have to disagree. No? <laughs> I have to disagree. That's not a minor spoiler. That is a huge is that a, spoiler. Is that a huge spoiler? Well, it, that's, that, that, that's basically what the whole book is about. Yeah, yeah, but 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 then then they all, I mean, I, I don't, I think that's about halfway. I think that's about halfway. You think, you think that's, that's a violation of my book talking rules as I laid them out to you? You yeah we just had a whole conversation <laughs> prior to this about like we, we're gonna do book talks from now on we're not gonna pitch and we're definitely not gonna spoil the things of the book like that is that is the whole book well like, it's not the, it's the not the whole book spoiler. and and and, and like uh, Gawain seems to be like the an elderly knight from Arthur's he not seems to be he is a knight elderly knight from uh, Arthur Arthur's you're kingdom affected by. You're affected by the same mist, the she-dragon's <laughs> breath, that is permeated. It has gone through the pages of the book I will just, into your I, mind. I, I, and I will just say, as, as the last part of my book talk, that, that the thing about this book is the language. Like, like I think if you, if you like language, language will really pull you into this book. Th- that's where I'll stop. Now, let's give our spoiler warning. Now we're going to definitely spoil the book in talking about it. Oh, yeah. I, I, well, I don't think I can spoil it more than you Oh, we did. totally can spoil I, it more than you. we just did. Yeah. Come on. I, well... Yeah, in a literal sense, but like that's the uh, that's the no you 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 took the cake and you ran. That's an expression, right? You took the cake. And Did you I ran. take the cake and ran? Uh, well, I was gonna say if you like, I don't think I've spoiled it. And if you wanted to turn the the 
the podcast off right now, go read this book, come back in like a day or a few weeks and then listen to the rest of it. Like, like I don't think we've spoiled it. Willow thinks I have already. I apologize if I have. Uh, but here we go. Willow, <laughs> how'd you yeah. enjoy this book? Well, okay. So this was a, this was a really interesting book. This may in some ways be the most interesting book on the podcast so far. Okay. Why um, so? When I... St- well, when I started it, I was into the setting. I was into the language. I'm I'm a big fan of uh, sort of alternate history stuff. I and I love Arthurian stuff. I love Dark Ages, but I love like Dark Ages done right, which I feel like this is. What, what do you think? What, what, do, you, what do you think makes it Dark Ages done right? Well, I mean, it's literally in the Dark Ages of England, right? The the time of the petty kings, and and you know, it's Arthurian legend, but it's also like this is after Arthur and. We're focusing on peasantry, right? We're focusing on characters who, for whom life is bad. Like, their day-to-day work is breaking the ice on the ground to make sure that the the earth does not freeze over so that, you know, come springtime, they can actually plant. Right, 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 right. Like, this is this is huge. Um, it, it It is demonstrating the bleakness of, of these lives, but in such a way that, like, the characters don't sigh and say god life is hard all the time isn't it they're just like yeah that's that's what we do yeah, I, like what else are we supposed I to mean, do like, like it, it describes it as bleak but it doesn't show it as terribly bleak to me it feels more like uh ordinary and everyday right it's kind of like uh right like like it's, it reminded me of what uh, philip k dick used to do with science fiction where he'd have this science fiction setting but you just have these ordinary people talking about ordinary stuff and going about their days like like that's what it seemed like until they set off right so i was into it and then you know, the book starts and not a lot happens. We we, we meet Wiston and we meet Edwin. Mm-hmm. Those are the in the in the in the uh, Saxon the, the, in the Saxon village. Yep. Yeah. Right. We meet the Saxon characters, and so we've got a little bit of a of a you know Wizard of Oz. We got Dorothy. We we're collecting the Cowardly Lion. We're collecting uh, the Tin Man. We we collect Sir Gawain, which is cool that we we meet. Uh, a knight of of the court of the uh, of the round table and Gawain was clearly a very fun character to write I think for uh Mr. Ishiguro. Yeah, some of the some of the chapters are from Edwin's point of view, some of them are from most of them are from Axel's point of view, I think. But a few are from Gawain's point of view and uh those were definitely like the most like I don't know, like like there's a stuck upness to his language. It's just wonderful, right? Oh, right. It's very obvious that even though Gawain means well, he is very much full of himself and that and he can't not get over his own sort of self-importance right 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 and uh, you know there were times when i suspected that maybe this was not actually sir gawain that this was an imposter um just because there is a a a manner in which he carries himself that almost indicates that he's a charlatan um but then i would say the the middle of the book is really difficult we made we made some interesting encounters, you know. We made an encounter with a guy who's clearly some kind of like the the Charon, the boatman of across the river of death. Like that, it's not it's not subtle. Well, well uh, and, and, and that and happens. That's kind of early, right? That, that, that's before they even get to the yeah. Saxon village, right? That is early in the book. Um, so we have a couple of odd encounters. Things start ramping up a lot towards the end. But I will say that the majority of this book, I was I was genuinely bored reading it. And thing, things were happening, but they weren't especially interesting. And as I was describing to people that when I was reading it, I was like, well, the book is about all these people whose memory is being eroded away by right. a magical mist. And it's kind of like following around actual people with Alzheimer's. 
for whom they don't know what they're doing. They don't really remember why they're doing it. And by God, it's going to be hard doing it because they just keep talking in circles. See, I had, I had a much harder time at the beginning of the book than I did in the middle. Like, like I, um, I, I just, I couldn't really fall into this book for a while. And then by the time they left the Saxon village and headed for the monastery to try to get uh, some help for Beatrice's aches and pains, which seemed like a strange reason to go off course for a day. Um, I, I was I was okay, but I, I think I think the darkness of the Saxon village kind of sold it to me a little bit because we, we should we should talk about the the order of events a little bit. So they set out from from their barrow. They end up taking shelter in this old house with this boatman and uh, a crazy woman who's about to kill a rabbit. Am I if I have that right? Yeah, I think so. So they're sheltering from a storm, and um, it's the ferryman's it's the ferryman's house from when he was a child, and he, it's it's like full of memories for him. And he he's mad at the woman who's over in the corner getting ready to kill the rabbit because he says she's taunting him somehow and she brings animals there to kill them when he's there trying to enjoy his memories and she won't leave no matter what he does. And he, he kind of convinces uh, Beatrice to try to convince the old lady to leave and Axel says, like, maybe they shouldn't do that. Uh, it's, it's a very strange story. And then the old woman explains that, like, a story that's kind of central to the, to, like, Beatrice and Axel's story in general, which is that she says that the boatman uh, did this thing where they were, she and her husband were trying to go to this island. And the island is special. It's supposed to be a place where basically everybody is roaming in these lovely fields and everybody, everybody feels like they're alone and they can hardly ever sense that there's anybody else on the island, even though it's full of people. And if you're really, really in love, you can go there together with your with your with your loved one uh and the boatman she thinks tricked her and just took her husband alone in his in his boat and said he would come back for the woman but then refused to take her basically to the island as well and so her husband is there alone and she's just had this miserable existence since her husband was taken to the island um and and um like beatrice kind of starts thinking about the island at that point um and worries that um like maybe her and axel's love would wither before they get a chance to get to someplace like that. Uh, and, and so that kind of hangs over the the story a little bit. And then they go to the Saxon village, which, like, like they, they seem to forget that whole encounter because the Saxon village is, is a light because the young boy who is Edwin, uh, who is named later, who is Edwin, has been taken uh, on a fishing trip with his father and his uncle when two ogres attack them. And, and they, they stole the boy away. And Whiston, who is visiting that village, who's a warrior uh, on a mission from his king, is... He, he goes off with two men to try to retrieve the boy. Um, and it, it's a very dark town. And because Axel and Beatrice are Britons who were visiting and kind of relying on the hospitality of strangers and people uh, Beatrice knows and she's met before, uh, they have to kind of hide. And there's like a lot of fear, which I, I really like that scene. Did you enjoy that at all? Like like the time in the, in the Saxon village? Um... It was okay. I don't remember it being amazing. I I like the superstitious stuff in it a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I I like these weird concepts of monster rules where it's like all of the townspeople are afraid. Like the the boy's been bitten by an ogre. That means in three days time he'll turn into an ogre. Which is like what? Like oh, are it, it, all monsters vampires? Is that why they're afraid of him? Like, I can't, I don't remember that part. I I know he, I know he'd been yeah. bitten and they kind of wanted to throw him out because he'd been bitten. No, they say that, but and and everyone is like like be reasonable. The good science tells us that no, he's just infected. Like it's just just put some poultice in his wound and let it heal. Like. It's uh, it's really a fascinating idea of 
Yeah, and especially because it's like, what is the science circulating uh, about an ogre bite, right? Like, right. <laughs> a completely right. mythical creature. But in this world, it's not obvious whether or not ogres are or are not real. Like, because, you know, right. we today are pretty sure that, like, King Arthur didn't really exist, at least not as anything as, myth- you know, that he's an adaptation of the Charlemagne story from France, right? Um, Bite your tongue, sir. Come on. Thou shalt not, anyway. thou shalt not say Arthur was not real. Sorry. <laughs> well, so in this world, I, I love this idea that, like, and, and this happens later when they're discussing, well, what happens when you're bitten by a dragon? And it's like, is it also vampire rules? Because, th- now this is a spoiler, I will say, because we right. discover that uh, that Edwin was not, in fact, bitten by an ogre like everyone thought, but was bitten by a dragon. What, what do you? What do you? Which? But, but there's there's a, there's a description <laughs> there's a description of the dragon that's in there where the dragon sounds like a plucked chicken. I, I just didn't understand. I was still like, are monsters real or not at this point in the book? I don't remember when we discover. Like that's the thing is that so Wiston the the warrior. Uh, is the one who says, "Oh, the boy was not bitten by a, an ogre, but a dragon." But it's like, but it's not obvious how he knows that. I don't think we. I, I almost feel like he's guessing. Well, but but but, but, but Wiston did rescue the boy, so Wiston. I guess that's w- fair. Wiston Wiston knows something, but I mean, later when we see that, it would have to be a what, it would have to be a real puny dragon to survive getting bitten by. Right. Well, well, and later when we see the dragon, it's 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 crazy. So. Right. Which is, which but let's, would, we'll talk about that in a, a second. Huge spoiler, but but I, but I love the idea that so the rules the rules these people believe, but incorrectly is that if you get by ogre you turn into an ogre, which isn't true. You just have a bad wound. Right. But if you get bitten by a dragon, the the same the same person who's like don't be superstitious says, oh, but if you get bitten by a dragon, you will then be forced to seek out dragons, like you become its thrall. Almost. Well, to to mate with them apparently, which, to mate with a she dragon. That, that that is that that is what uh, Wiston believes. The which makes no the, the boy sense is being at all. Called. But, <laughs> but how great is that? Like that's such a great mythology and and i've never heard this anywhere before it's it's nonsense but it's fun nonsense which i like well and it becomes it becomes kind of wiston's whole bet is that the boy is going to lead him to the dragon and the boy like later on seems to feel like he's being led well he's being called by his mother by the voice of his mother who was taken by british soldier britain soldiers um when he was five and so he wants to go rescue her because she didn't his mother tell him to come rescue her (laughs) Like, like, I, I genuinely don't understand that subplot because, right, we get these visions through Edwin's eyes where it seems like he was raised by like a coven of witches or something. It's, I don't think it's made explicit, but there's this whole thing where, um, Wiston is essentially trying to manipulate the boy into bringing him to the dragon, but then Edwin is trying to manipulate Wiston into finding his mother and, it's not clear who's winning in this in this well, war no, of no, manipulation. I, I think I think Wiston is clearly correct toward the end because because Edwin is leading him toward the dragon. That's how that's how Wiston and Edwin end up at the dragon again after everybody's separated, right? So I don't think that's entirely true because we spend a lot of time. There's like a whole chapter where we spend at this one random. Uh, it's just sort of this rocky pool of water that Edwin is like. This is where my mother is, da, 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 and it's and. And Wiston is like, are you are you sure that's not where the dragon is? I, I think you mean the dragon. And Edward's like, no, no, I've been lying to you. And, <laughs> and Edward, like, and and they both they're both deeply confused by the other. Right, it's right, very right. and it's confusing to us, the audience. The, so 
here's here's my thing like i think the ending to the book is really cool and i would say it's genuinely profound and interesting i really liked it too yeah uh, yeah, yeah yeah and the so the ending is that we we get to the dragon's lair the the she dra- dragon querig who is the one who has brought such ruin to england and we find it and it is this dying ancient uh like it's they describe it as like you know what should have been like scales of hardened bronze now it is turned to the 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 white pale color of the underside of a fish like it's gross and it, it, it it's is, laying there's burping out mist that's <laughs> making everyone around it forget right and our characters realize that like oh yes merlin did this on purpose for two reasons one because it uh, it nullifies the problem of there being a dragon across the land. And two, the Saxon and the Britons have been at war for presumably decades. And if we can erase people's memories, we can erase the conflict. No, people will stop fighting each other and there will be peace in the land. Well, but, but, but it's it's worse than that. Like the, the spoilery thing is it's worse than that because as Axel is traveling and he meets Wiston, Wiston looks at him like, I know you. And Gawain, when they run across, across Gawain as they're going towards the monk's village after leaving the Saxon village, Gawain says, Gawain knows him too. And Axel has these yeah. has these ideas in his head, these very vague memories of having a sword and having been on like battlefields. And, and, and like, it's clear he was some kind of knight, but he doesn't remember this at all. He's just a guy who lives underground now at the edge of this terrible village in a barrow. Well, and it, but although it's not obvious why Gawain and Wiston would would remember this, it's very strange as to but why does Axel not get to have be able to remember these things? Well, but, but, but Axel does kind of remember, and and you can see parts of it like like where like like Axel was a knight who didn't really draw his sword. He wasn't a knight known for good, great deeds. He was known for making peace, and he made a peace between. Right the Saxons and the Britons. And and I think the profound thing about the novel is 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 about the forgetfulness. Like the forgetfulness the dragon offers brings peace. But but the way this turns Arthurian legends on its head is Arthur is always the uh the noble person who brings peace to to, to mm-hmm. Britain. But here he's like a bastard, just a real fucker, right? And and uh right. Axel created this peace and then and then Arthur and his men just slaughtered, like, like, like Axel's peace basically protected the women and children and the old people in the villages from from the the horrors of war. Everybody agreed not to not to involve them on either side. And then Arthur and his men, the Knights of the Round Table, the great people we've read and seen so many movies about that we just love in our minds. Arthur Arthur and his men killed everybody. They were just they were just going to kill the Saxons so they could have peace in Britain because peace to them meant no opponents at all like no no people who were different and then they had the dragon make everybody forget that so there could be peace which is just well and from a well i also think it's interesting because from a historical perspective the saxons were invaders in england they're not natives like they're you know saxon at the time really meant german right and so you know on some level i I say right but i don't know that for a fact at all but okay well that thing so we we think of we think of the people from england now as anglo-saxons but that didn't at the time of this story that wouldn't have been true the saxons came from mainland europe to england as as invaders right right um, right. because because england was you know it was all peasants it was not it was not good land they they call it the time of the petty kings because there was no great civilization there the you know the roman empire had fallen and there was no one there to uh do anything so anyway i think i think that makes it all the more interesting that like on some level you know you could you could side with uh arthur even though like 
I, I, I do love the character of Axel, and at one point they gave his full name, which is really fancy, but I can't remember, I can't remember what, either. what the life yeah. is. Uh, but, but Axel was this this real badass knight who was a diplomat who, like, there's a scene where that Gawain is remembering where Axel is standing on the battlefield as arrows and uh, darts are flying by, and... <laughs> Gawain is just like, please, man, pick up a shield, pick up a sword, dude, like, protect yourself, yes, you're going to die. Yes. Axel is like, if God wills me dead, then it shall be, but I will not, you know, oh, I will not lay weapon on these people. I love I love the action scenes, if you can call them action scenes. Like, like that's the battle where Gawain, he brings some, some lady to the battlefield who he picks up, he promises her he'll pick her up, and then he goes off and does the thing with the, the dragon, and he comes back and and uh, helps her get revenge right on on this on the saxon who she needs revenge on all, all right. she has is a hoe right and she kills this guy very slowly with her hoe on the battlefield and gawain's <laughs> like could you just do that a little faster maybe if you just like picked it up and you know really really staved him and she's like nope i'm just gonna keep kind of rubbing along with my hoe here and do this very slowly yeah. and he turns away and then he sees axel on the battlefield that's that's awesome it's so it's so not noble. It's so far from noble. It's just it's it's right. wonderful, and I love the scene which we don't really see, where there's a there's kind of a build up to it that we don't realize is a build up to it, where Wiston is being pursued because he's on a mission from the Saxon king. He's being pursued by the Brit the 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 Briton who's in charge of the area. What's his name? Lord Brennus, who mm-hmm. who yeah. uh, he knew as a child. Um, and and we find out Wiston has no love for for the Britons at all, really. Although he tolerates Axel and, and Beatrice, so he does have some peace in his heart. But he uh, he at the at the monks um, at the monastery, which used to be a fort, he realizes the purpose of one of the buildings and just just kills all the men who come for him in this in this amazingly brutal way. Uh, that I just I really really enjoyed. Everybody thinks he's died too at, at the monastery, and oh, it, it's so it's so strange. It's just so uh, it's so dreamlike and weird the way the way it's the way it's told. I mean, I I, I love uh, the way the story unfolds. Yeah. It, it had me it had me by then like solidly. Sure, slight change of topic, but a scene. There, so there's a scene that I really love. A couple of them that are related, where Axel and Beatrice are traveling down river in these like woven baskets. Because they don't have an actual boat. Is that a thing? Uh, could you, like could straight... you travel in a basket? I was so confused by that. Like, what? what is this? I mean, the answer is yes. Uh, it's not a good idea, but you can. Um, and the idea is that... It be, because they, they talk to a boatman who's like, Hey, can you ferry us down the river? And the boatman's like, Well, my, my work here isn't done, but I'll tell you what. I have these baskets that I usually load up with you know supplies that float alongside my boat and they're sturdy they you know nothing gets inside there it's got like sheepskin on the inside to to keep it waterproof it's uh and it can hold a good weight you guys don't weigh a lot so if you each get in one basket uh you can go down the river a ways and just as keep from pressing against the side because you'll get stopped and then you you can't get going again because that's the thing is like when you're in this basket you have no agency you just have to let the river take you. Yeah, I didn't understand that at um, all. It just seems so weird, so weird. Oh yeah, he gives him a pole. He gives him he gives is. him a pole and says like the, the he says he says the real danger isn't like you're going to overturn but you're going to get stuck in these reeds, these grasses that are growing in the river. Right. Uh, which is what happens kind of. And but the- but so so there's this whole thing. It's it's like Orpheus and Eurydice, maybe intentionally so where uh Axel and Beatrice can't see each other and Beatrice is just terrified and Axel's trying to comfort her the whole time and they're going down this river and eventually they they come across another boat that has like a dying older woman on it and they manage to board this boat 
and no, only ax- only uh, axle boards the boat. Okay, but um, and then it's like there's these monsters. That, uh, I think they're at first it's like actual like zombies are coming up from the river. No, they're, they're, no, they're right? pixies. They're pixies. He says, but I don't. Right. Well, I, well, there are pixies, but I thought they were. I thought there was more than one. But well, they're, 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 there's they're like a... a hutch full of dead rabbits. So I think this is clearly the old lady from the from the the, the encounter oh, okay. before. Because um, there's there's a hutch full of dead dead skinned rabbits, and then the pixies start pouring out of that, and they start pouring into the boat from the sides, and then gotcha. th- there's like a hoe, and Axel starts is it a hoe or a scythe or something, and Axel starts beating at the pixies and trying to scrape them off the woman, and then he realizes they're in the basket with Beatrice. Right, they're trying to take Beatrice, and they like try to negotiate, like please, like let us have her, like she's dying already, man, like let her die. And I w- Axel is refusing. It's it's a great scene. But I was so confused because like like I like the, he just abandons the woman and then he gets Beatrice out of the basket and drags her to the land and then. Well, the the woman is sort of too far gone. Like I think she says like I you know there's nothing that can be done for me. But but I was I was but it, it all felt so symbolic. I was like, what is this? What is this supposed to be? Like like what? Because because now it felt very like like the whole thing started to feel a little allegorical at that point. And but I I was very lost in terms of in terms of what that was and what the pixies were and the pixies aren't very well described so you, I'm still on the edge of like are these real is he just high did he eat some bad mushrooms like what's what's going on right now right no I think we're I think by the end of the book it the boatman the Charon figure he must be real uh, the dragon is obviously real I think we're meant to believe that yes this Dark Ages England actually has monsters in it monsters are real I think we are too it's very strange though it's it, it, the, the the mistiness the the forgetfulness the the weirdness of every encounter but especially that one. the term dreamlike which I think is accurate so the so like I said like I was bored through most of this but there was a point where I was probably 80 percent done with the book where I had a realization where I was like this book is boring, but <laughs> if this were if this were like an animated movie, I think I would love it. I think it would be perfect. Why do you think it's boring? Oh, yeah. Because they spend so much time walking around not doing things. <laughs> For every cool scene, there's like five scenes where they're just talking about the same three things over and over again. And they just go, well, I don't know, Axel. What do you think about this? I don't know, princess. I think this is... And it's like, they don't... Act, like, nothing happens straight. You could cut them and it would change nothing. Well, I, I, it would make the book better. I, I, I think in a way, that was my reading too. Because I was like, these people don't have much agency. So why... Like, like, what am I rooting for? And then you're going along and you're like, their, their son is probably dead. And, and they're still moving along to try to find him. And then you're like, but they just keep forgetting what's going on. And then they have discussions and they have moments where, oh, maybe everything isn't great between them. But maybe the mist is helping their relationship. And then they just kind of move on again and they've forgotten that. But but they they somehow keep moving forward, which seems admirable to me. And that became enough for me at some point. Um and then, and then they really like, like they meet those kids after the after the pixie scene, which was so. That's the weirdest part of the book to me. I didn't understand that at all. They just need to take shelter somewhere, and they they find these kids who are just hanging out in the yard, and they go, "Yeah, our, our parents are missing, but go ahead and use our house for a while." Like, what? What's going on? And then here, take this poisoned goat up and see if it, see if you can use it to kill the dragon, huh? That's right. That also was very strange. As we've been feeding this goat poison for months, oh, like I, so as to kill the dragon. Like here, like, we accidentally killed we accidentally killed this thing here in the ditch. 
with the other goat. But like, okay, all right. I guess that's where we're going. And then they just, they're like, okay, the kids have asked us to do this, so we should go, let's go do it. Let's go do it. Let's. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be easier to just like, attach something poisonous to a goat like is the dragon gonna be able, i don't like there's so much we well, don't well, know i think i think i think that felt a little contrived to me because the only way to get gawain and whiston and edwin and who and uh and axel and beatrice like 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 they're, they're they're separately going toward the dragon at that point and and gawain's going for his own reasons and whiston and edwin are going to try to kill the dragon and 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 gawain is supposedly for decades been trying to kill the dragon which is so clearly like like what is he doing why isn't the dragon dead then if gawain isn't i mean he's either freaked out or something else is going on um right and 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 to get to get um to get axel and beatrice heading that direction the, you need the kids you need the kids to give them a goat because what are they going to do they're not going to get a lance like edwin's or uh, axel is not he's not the guy who would even if he got a sword go up there and try to kill the dragon with a sword he was always the peacemaker that was his thing so so it gets them it gets right. them all moving in the same direction and it's nice it, it 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 feels weird enough you know to to be part of this and then interspersed with that are are these weird things where where uh whiston is being led by edwin edwin thinks his mom is calling him whiston clearly thinks the she dragon is calling edwin on and and edwin thinks he's lying to to whiston it's very odd and and gawain has this weird encounter with these hags <laughs> who just who just call him a coward and he he just kind of in this blowhard fashion he just kind of avoids it all very very strange <laughs> like like but 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 it cracked me up that was great comic relief because at that point he was just i didn't know what was going on with him but he was clearly misinterpreting everything around him and i you kind of you kind of love him a little bit for that and so I, that was that was gawain that had that scene. yeah 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 gawain i think he said Edward. no no that was gawain yeah. I, I keep calling him gawain you say gawain like i, I don't know which is right but um Maybe right. they're both right. If any medieval scholars are out <laughs> yes, there, let exactly. us know how do you exactly. correctly say, how do you correctly pronounce Arthur's nephew? <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, but but well, you know, I just watched. Um, I I finally watched uh, the Green Knight, the A twenty four. Oh, did you like it? I've been excited. I think I've been excited about the movie since pre pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's really good. Uh, but in fact, I think I don't know if it's the first time we were pronounced. But King Arthur literally calls him Garwin, and I and no one else in the movie calls him that. Oh, interesting. And so I think. I think we're meant to believe that Arthur just doesn't know how to say it and or he just has an accent that's so bizarre and nobody corrects him because he's the king. Boy, I loved I love the acting in that in that movie. And it has a very, it has a feel it's much like this, I think. Right. Well, that's what I was saying though is that like I think if I think if that had been written out as a book and it's like and now the young Gawain is uh wandering the countryside and he's got a fox and they sure are walking a lot. And then they come across some giants, and the giants make some sounds, and nothing actually comes. I think that would have been boring for me. But in a movie, I was willing to go with it. I was like, okay, right. this is this is moody. This, this is interesting and introspective. Mm. Whereas in the book, I'm just like, god damn it, can we get to something? <laughs> but I, I don't think this. I don't think this book is very cinematic. At the same time, I understand what you're saying, but there, there's not. I, I mean, I mean the. If anything, it's more like uh, the road, the movie version of the road, than anything else. There's just like a mist hanging over the land, and it's kind of desolate, you know. And th I guess the, uh, I'm not familiar with this movie. The road. So, yeah. Uh, post-apocalyptic. It's uh, a man and his son, kind of moving through the post-apocalyptic world, trying to trying to find safety, basically. Um, Is this an old movie? Should I know this movie? Uh, it's uh, based on a Cormac McCarthy uh, book. It stars uh, who's the guy who's in uh, who plays the main knight guy in uh the tolkien trilogy what's his name the guy who plays aragorn yeah yeah 
Yeah, what's, what's that actor's name? Sorry, I'm forgetting at the moment. Uh, it starts with a V. Viggo um, Mortensen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, you should you should definitely check it out. It it. it... The only, <laughs> the only Viggo Mortensen movies I actually know are The Lord of the Rings and uh, Captain Fantastic, which great movie. Love Captain Fantastic. Oh, I've never seen that. So uh, you watch The Road. I'll watch Captain Fantastic before the next uh, <laughs> before the next podcast. <laughs> All I remember about I, Captain I, Fantastic is that there's a bus on the poster, and I was like, I don't really want to watch Viggo Mortensen in a bus. Oh my god. That's the worst <laughs> way to to analyze what movies you watch. It's like, hmm, Viggo Mortensen in which vehicle? A bus? No, thank you. If he were on a velocipede, hey, or hey, when, when I, uh, perhaps in a... When I saw the poster, all I'm saying is I wasn't in a bus mood. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. If he was on a hoverboat through the Everglades, yeah, I I love Viggo Mortensen on a hoverboat, but or a fan boat. I'm sorry, but uh, well, so at the end of this book, so so the dragon is uh, is met and and uh, things happen, and then uh, Beatrice and Axel end up kind of in the presence of a boatman again, trying to go to the island where the, their son is or is or right. isn't, um, and it's clearly what, which would you say Charon? Wh- is, that, is that how you pronounce that? Yeah. Charon, Charon. It's I, if any if any Greek mythology scholars out there know how to pronounce Charon, uh, let us know. But um, and, and and then it it ends it ends in a scene that's kind of mirrored in that in that early um, encounter in in the in the old building where they're taking shelter at the beginning of their journey. Well, and uh, we get a much better description of the afterlife in this scene, and it's actually pretty terrifying because. It is it is an island that is populated by forest, but when you go to this island, you are essentially alone there forever. That uh, other people may be nearby, all the other people who have lived and were taken to this island, but you won't actually be able to see them or encounter them or speak to them. Like they are, like th- th- there's just no way to know that it was there. So you're basically going to spend eternity alone in a forest on an on an island. That it, like it sounds terrifying, but the the thing is like ah, but if you're married and you can your your love is pure and good, and you can answer this question, then you can go together, and so it's not complete isolation. Well, I'm trying to remember and is, is that final is that chapter from the boatman's point of view? Like the boatman doesn't really know what they're what they're yes, talking the, about. The boatman is just a boatman in a way, but but they're seeing him as Charon. It, it, like it's it's like he's not really that that person to them he's just a boatman who takes people to that island and he's like yeah i've heard about islands well, like that but i don't yeah that that may or may not be that kind of island i don't know and well the well it's there's a couple things going on so yes the the last chapter is from charon's perspective um but also well he's intentionally lying to these people he's specifically lying to axel because he has no intention of bringing axel and beatrice he is clearly only going to bring beatrice but he kind of has to string axel and it's not obvious why but for some reason, he has to string Axel along and be like, yeah, you can come along, but I have to take her first. Like, that's just the way it works. Like, we've heard this story before. And, right. And I don't remember him saying anything to the effect of like, oh, yeah, whatever they're saying about islands is... I, I think that's part of... He is an unreliable narrator to them. Not narrator, but like, he's, he is lying to them a lot. You think so? I think, I think Axel is or I think we don't get a better explanation of what's happening on the island than what Axel says about this this forest and everything. I think the thing is is that 
the boatman knows that if he confirms that if he confirms any of this, this is going to get him in trouble. Like he's just trying to get Beatrice. He's just uh, trying to take Beatrice to the afterlife. Like he doesn't. I don't think he has anyone's best interest at heart. Right. You know, being the the boatman of death. He's just like. I'm just going to say whatever makes these people happy, right? I'm just going, I'm just trying to get her out because once I get her out, I, nothing else matters. Yeah, but it's, it's weird because it's from his point of view and we don't really see what the truth is at the same time. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. And I think that's because, I mean, on some level, it probably doesn't matter. And I think it's, you know, for me, the idea that like Axel is the only person who has any theory as to what's happening. And usually in a fiction text like this, that's the thing we have to go by, right? Be- because he lives in this world and we don't. Uh, and so the fact that there is no other competing theory, if if the boatman had said, no, it's not like that at all, you know, it's a big desert full of mushrooms, like then then we would have some reason to think, oh, okay, maybe it really is a big mushroom full of desert. Well, and, and, there, and there's, the the, other way there's kind of no choice because Beatrice has clearly been dying for a while toward the end of the book. Right. This is yeah. And, and and nobody's really naming that, but she's just weakening and weakening and just laying down at the bottom of the, this boat and the basket and everything else and But it is also I mean, this is one of those myth things that it's kind of absurd that this boatman shows up at like the top of a mountain where this dragon lives. No, I think I, I think like... they've walked since 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 that, haven't they? I mean the the, the the great thing of this about this book, the one thing that I really, really liked, is that there were not descriptions of between every chapter of how they, you get somewhere and how they meet up again. Like they're just kind of, they're kind of met up and you kind of, you kind of take that part as read. And that's the part that's always the most boring part of fantasy novels to me. That's why I stopped reading uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogies because all that, all that connecting matter has to be there. And it just drove me nuts. Like I don't, I don't care that they ate lemless bread for 48 days anymore. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I think there are better ways to do that. Well, I think this book, I think this um, book does it really elegantly like all those parts and it, it moves backwards and forwards in time in terms of the uh the narration and the story but but it 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 works without really even naming that stuff it i mean i think i think ishiguro is just an amazing writer after reading this it's it's a great sense of of place that he provides and a great sense of of character i mean i don't, I don't think it's ultimately an incredibly pleasing place to be in or an incredibly pleasing bunch of characters <laughs> you know what i mean but this is it, it's a great book, uh, which is the confusing thing to me. I don't know. Did you have that reaction? Did you think this was? I mean, you, you clearly thought this was a great book in some way. I mean, I think "great" is a strong word. I think it has interesting things to say, which is more than a lot of the books that we've talked about on this podcast. I I can't say that of most of them. I don't think I don't think uh, everybody hates Vera Dietz or whatever. That please ignore Vera Dietz. I don't think that book had anything really interesting to oh, say. Oh, I disagree. I love you that know. book. That book is so. good. I know you do. <laughs> We're not talking about we're not talking about what you think at this point. I know, I know. Uh, you asked me. Fair I, enough. Yeah, fair I enough. think that um, I think this book has interesting things to say. I think that it, like most of the books, maybe could have been edited down. Does you know? Did the fact that they spend so much time wandering around, being confused, help the point? Maybe somewhat. I I don't know. I I I mean, I think like if you had written this in kind of a Hemingway style. I think you probably could have accomplished that same series of ideas trimmed down with with not to say plainer language that not not that the language is not a problem in this book. I think the language is pretty good. Well, I've been I just I, I've been I've been reading a bunch of older science fiction from the 60s and 50s and 70s, and I can just imagine if this book had been written back then, how kind of how kind of straightforward and ugly it would have been. 
how, how the battles would have been really overly described, how the kind of grosser parts of the book would have been emphasized, how the language would have been de-emphasized, how, how it would have just been turned into this thing that was just about plot and how that would have been the wrong the wrong decision for it. Just how, how beautiful this book is and how nicely put together it is. And maybe maybe that's a reflection of what books are now versus then, and it's not fair. I don't know. But I'm 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 so glad it was it is what it is at, at the at But the I end. also think th- I also think that that has a lot to do with your personal expectations that I've read the same books that you're talking about from the 60s and 70s and I think most of them are I think that they're overwrought with th- focusing on the wrong kind of details. Right, 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 right. But but I think this book is also somewhat wrought with I think I don't think it isn't not on the wrong details. I think sure, that Sure, sure. I think some of the details are great. I think that the the mystery of getting bitten by an ogre and the the island that is the afterlife. I think these are great details. At the same time, I think that like you you were like, why are they eating lembus bread for forty eight days? And I and here I am being like, why are we spending like ten pages on whether or not the old man in the Saxon town gives them breakfast or not? Because that does happen. Right, right, that right. That is right. a boring, dumb part of this book that I don't like. And a lot of this book is that it's it is not free of this all of the lord of the rings problems it's just free of some of them and i agree that it's an improvement but it's not a not enough to elevate it to the height of the genre here well and i'm not arguing that's the height of the genre and you and i talked about this i think about how there are books that uh defy genre enough i mean i think this book is is that it's that kind of fantasy arthurian book that people who read quote-unquote literary fiction will read and it's probably not too beloved by people who read fantasy novels, right? Right. Well, this is, I think this is an interesting thing, though, is I think almost all of the books we have read, you know, because almost all of these books we have gotten from something like this NPR list, like this NPR list is clearly for people who like literary fiction, the Viridiths and the, um, the, when we were Vikings, you know, we got these from lists for the most part. I have to say that there is, with the exception of probably the, the blade itself and, uh, that science fiction book we read, that, that is the overwhelming feature here is that these have all been of that genre. I don't think so, though. I, I mean, I want to disagree with that. I think I think maybe, arguably, like Black Leopard, Red Wolf on this list is maybe the Southern Reach trilogy by Vandermeer. Vandermeer's been kind of embraced by by. Uh, the, no, no, no. I'm talking about the books that we have oh, read we, for that the we, podcast. Oh, I, I, sorry. I thought you, about, you meant about that NPR list. I, I don't think so about that either. Well, like the Abercrombie book is not literary fiction. The no, I agree. I'm, I'm saying that one is an exception. Oh, okay. No, what, no, but I'm saying that the majority of the books, like this is our 10th one, you know, I think uh, or this is our 10th podcast, but we've read more than 10 books total. I think like, I think like seven of the, you know, not counting the graphic novels. At, I, I think that we keep reading things that are in literary fiction, which it, it is a bad genre name, frankly, but we don't have anything mm-hmm. better to use right now because it's that's the colloquial name. I, I think it is a genre that I am just not a fan of, really. Yeah, but, like, but I, I think really the only the only thing that fits there is m- like nothing to see here is clearly just straightforward fiction, right? And and uh, maybe I mean I think Piranesi is clearly in there as well, but I don't know if I would yeah put anything else there that we've read. I could be I could be wrong. I mean, all the birds in the sky veers towards there, but not not really. 
I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, well, this is clearly something to keep in mind as we. As I, we either these work. books ha- all have this. Well, I think the alternative is these books just don't have any genre, and all genre is meaningless. We're all lying to each other, ourselves all the time. Well, that's that's totally true. I mean, come on. <laughs> but um, no, I think I think I see a lot of similarities between most of these books that the the, the things that I'm not liking in them tend to be the same things over and over. And well, I have to tell. This is a good time for me to to tell you what uh, my friend Sarah Hunt said, uh, the librarian who who uh, recommended Nothing to See Here, which you really enjoyed. Yeah. So so she said that uh, she she just finished listening to the All the Birds in the Sky episode, and she says mm-hmm. that she's trying to calibrate the idea of what you like and what you don't, and she thinks that you like books that are much heavier on plot than I do, and and she says that I like characters and language, which. I think I like language and setting, so I think she's wrong about characters, but characters are definitely important to me. Um, but she says that um, what, what, what you want, what Willow wants from characters, she says involves them doing something in the world, which I think points back to plot. Willow, she, she Willow, seems to want a fairly straightforward plot structure, beginning, middle, end, with clear path throughout. This may be related to her preference for audiobooks. They're much easier to follow when the plot is straightforward and the language that you like, doesn't you like meaning me, doesn't shine through as much. Which, which I, well, I do like language. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to pretend like language isn't good. And 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 I also I do like characters. But I think I think you and I like very different things about characters. I I I think it's possible to like characters in dramatically different ways. Right. Sure. Sure. But but, but do, you, do you think do you think what Sarah is saying is true that you like you like a straightforward plot structure because you like and that that may be why you like audiobooks or like that you like. Or like you like plot because you like audiobooks, or you like audiobooks because you like plot. Do you think that's true? Well, I think she's half right. I, I the answer is yes. I do like plot, and I think that plot matters a lot. And I think that I think that we read a lot of books that try to discard plot. That plot is a uh, is is for is a boorish sort of wisdom, and and that's not true. That um, like plot is the is the meat of the meal of the book that you you do need plot uh otherwise what is your book actually about you know okay uh and be, and i th- and i don't know about straightforward i think there are plenty of you know one of my favorite books of all time is um hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy i wouldn't say that book has a straightforward plot right yeah fair enough it it's it's meandering it's it goes places you know the odyssey like they're all of the classics i think have these weird winding plots now like the odyssey is a great example because it has a clear goal in mind from the beginning it's get odysseus back to ithaca every you know if you were teaching a writing class you would say like every scene in this story has to be about getting odysseus back to ithaca which it is it is true like there are there is no scene in that book where that is not the driving force behind his character right? right And, and like, isn't the, isn't and the then, plot of the Hitchhiker's Guide to get to find out the answer to the ultimate question? Uh, no. Well, Arthur Dent doesn't know that that's happening at all, right? Like, right. he's just trying to kind of get by in a world where Earth has been destroyed, and he's trying to, you know, get with Trillian, and he's trying to survive being killed by Vogons and other strange creatures, including, you know, the the mice. And, and while um, that's going on, he's finding out the truth about the, about the universe and how, how crazy it actually is. But the but the difference is is that like it there's never a dull moment in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? It it never stops for there, there's there's no chapter in which they all just kind of sit around 
and talk about what were we doing again? I don't remember what we were doing, but I think it was important. Well, the thing to remember is that everything is great. Like, they, they just don't do that. It's always, like, on to the next thing. The next thing is important. Uh, something is, is happening. It, it's never dull. It's never... It, the, the book knows what it's doing, even when the characters don't. And so, but... I think I think Sarah's half right. I think plot is important. I I think the plot to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is important, uh, as are the characters and the language. I think that you know that book has those things. Um, now, when it comes to audiobooks, like I look, I like reading books. I read uh, Piranesi. You know that was not an audiobook. The, the, these have not all been audiobooks for mm -hmm. me. Uh, the, the, there's a couple reasons that I like audiobooks. One, we're in a global pandemic still. Uh, <laughs> people, people don't like talking about this. Uh, so I'm not going to my local library to check out books. My local library isn't open all that often, um, thankfully. And, uh, so r checking out audiobooks via the internet has been a great way for me to get, get a hold of them. And also, uh, I'm an artist by day. I, I sit at my computer and I draw and it helps to be able to listen to them. And I also, I spend like an hour a day exercising, which it would be difficult to read a physical book during because I have to not get hit by cars when I'm outside. What? Um, yes, please don't get hit so, by a car. So, so the, the audiobook thing is practical. And let's be real, I enjoy the, uh, I enjoy the theatrics of, um, of the, the people reading the books. I think they do a good job for the most part. And it, they do a really great job when the writing of the book is good. This is a huge <laughs> thing. That there, there have been plenty of them. Uh, for example, that um, Consider Phlebas. Uh, I hated Consider Phlebas, and I was able to get through it easier because someone was reading it to me. But it was clear that the person reading the book, like, it, it was not an easy book to read for them because it is just long and drawn out I, I, and... I can I can totally see that that book would not work as an audiobook but I don't think it makes it a bad book or a lesser book I'm not no I'm not saying that it's bad because it doesn't make a good audiobook I'm saying it doesn't make a good audiobook because it's bad <laughs> I think that's the same thing uh, no I am actually saying that no it's not the same thing oh. the, damn you willow damn you <laughs> The, the car doesn't have a, a Hemi engine uh, because it is a faster car. The car is faster because it has a Hemi engine, right? There's, a, there's an order of operations here. I failed logic. I failed logic in school. I went and took a poetry class instead. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, I think Sarah makes some good points. Okay, um, all right. Well, well, we, we we can consider that when we figure out what we're going to read for uh, for next session, I guess. Right. I mean, so you know, I I the thing is, is I don't not recommend this book. I think there are people <laughs> out there for whom strong words. No, really strong words, ma'am. I think this book has value. This is we we said this at the beginning. I didn't like most of it. I think the whole middle section sucks pretty hard, but I think the beginning and the ending are pretty cool. And yeah. that's that's worth something. It, I still think about this book more than uh, this book has provoked more thought and more interest than the blade itself ever has. Ever has. Well, like, I will say I, I want to read more books by by Ishiguro now. Like I definitely am going to go sure. read the Remains of the Day, a few a few of his other books. I think um, so. So, and I think it's very interesting that we both liked the ending and and liked the book at the end, um, even though we had different reactions to the beginning and the middle. So yeah, it, it, it's fascinating to me this book. I, I don't, um, I don't quite get it, but maybe it's a book I'll read again too. Like, I don't often have that feeling like, oh yeah, I'll, I might read this book again. So 
it, it looks like we give this book two stabs in. Two stabs. We don't have a rating system. But <laughs> two thumbs up. Wouldn't it be fun if we did? We should work on that, yeah. Five, five wounds. The book gets five wounds. Well, if you think you have a book recommendation for Gene <laughs> and myself, uh, you should definitely write us an email at bookstabberpodcast at gmail.com. Please do. We would love to uh, we'd love to read it or even just tell us that we're wrong and that we are terrible at critiquing <laughs> and or understanding what books are about. I'd like to know. I'd like to know if I was doing something wrong. Oh, that would be uh, that would be great. Or you can leave a comment uh, on the library comic blog uh, in the post related to this podcast episode. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Willow Payne. And I'm Gene Ambaugh. And together we make comics somewhere. All right. 